just out in 2019, our newly released paperback version of our book, Affordable Interior Design, High-End Tips for Any Budget, has just hit shelves. If you want to learn more about selecting your style, picking the perfect paint colors, choosing a color palette that will wow, then you won't want to miss this book. Plus, it has a whole bunch of pretty pictures. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com, click on the shop tab, and you will see our book for $14.99. Additionally, if you purchase it on our website, I will personally sign it for you. And if you use promo code podcast at checkout, you'll get 15% off your entire order. Head to our website and grab your copy today. need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look. Be your own interior designer. This is Affordable Interior Design, the podcast. Here's your host, Betsy Helmuth. Summer is officially here. I cannot tell you how much joy this brings me. No other season fills me with as much inspiration, as many ideas. I want to be outside. I want to be working. I want to be inside. I want to be grinding out projects. And I want to be on the beach. Uh, making all my dreams come true this summer, I also want to be podcasting. I want to be answering your questions. And that is what I am doing today because it is a gorgeous summer weekend, but I want to be inside with you diving into our old mailbag. Without further ado, let me jump into your questions. My first person writes, Hi Betsy, I hope you're doing great quick question for you. I am looking into design programs and I think this one looks really interesting from the Florence Institute. As an employer and a design professional, what is your take on this? Do you think this would look attractive and interesting on a resume? I'm drawn to the idea of the experience and excited to get fundamental design training, but I'm curious on your thoughts. Thank you, Catherine. All right, Catherine, so I clicked on the link. I checked out this Florence Institute because I was not familiar with it. And it looks amazing to be training in Italy, to be immersed in another culture, surrounded by buildings that are so inspiring. Here is my problem with interior design programs. Programs like these, programs that teach you AutoCAD, that teach you intensive softwares, that talk about being a design assistant. These are programs that are geared towards you sitting behind a desk when you're out in the real world 85% of your time. Traditional interior design jobs do not actually involve that much day-to-day -day design. There's a lot of CAD drawings, a lot of renderings. More than ever, there's a lot of 3D imaging going on. I think they really prepare you for a career in high-end design. If you want to do a lot of custom, if you want to work for a big-name designer, if you want to work at a large firm, they want to see this type of certification on your resume. If you want to design for your friends and family, if you want to shop retail, if you want to turn around packages in two weeks to six months rather than two to six years, 
then you're going to want a different type of education. For instance, if someone came to my firm with this Florence Institute degree, I would know that they don't have practical training in dealing with budgets, dealing with client issues in terms of preferences and personalities. There's no real world applications in schools like this. And it's so funny because I was talking to my friend. Who was I talking to? Oh my gosh, it's all a blur. But I was telling her that I'm creating a certification course because so many people these days want to design differently. They don't want to be stuck behind a desk. They don't want a career that's nine to five in design where you're working at a large firm, where you're plugging things in 3D software programs, when you're spending a lot of time invoicing high-end items, and you're not actively in the field, not actively solving people's problems. They want to work for their neighbors. They want to work for their friends. They want to work for people like them at stores that they shop at, Crate and Barrel, Restoration, Target, and there's just a new wave. So I was telling my friend, you know, design schools give you no practical applications. When I see somebody with a degree, but who has never actually worked in residential design, I automatically know that they know how to do fictional projects, but they don't know how to do real world projects. I couldn't put them in a house and have them understand how to lay that out quickly and efficiently. And she was telling me that she's a lawyer and it's the same thing in law. They go to law school, they get a law degree, but they have no idea how to practically use it. The degree doesn't really set you up to practically implement uh, lawsuits, things like that. And that's why you, um, I don't even know what it's called in the legal world, but that's why you stage or intern or what's it called? I don't know, um, at a law firm. And I just thought that that was so interesting because, you know, I don't have experience outside of this profession and outside of hospitality. I worked in bars and restaurants before. And what I look for as an employer, and I have a very different type of firm, mind you, but I look for that practical, real-world experience. And when they don't have that, well, I know that I can train them because I have a method, a system, but I'm always looking for real-world experience and not always looking for the school degree. In fact, I really hate it when people send me samples of their work and they're all these hypothetical school projects where they've done the rendering, they've done the mood board, they've done the research on the space planning, but none of it has practical applications. There was no budget. There was no real client to interface with. Skies were the limit. And that is just not how things work, even in most high-end settings. So that's just something to keep in mind, Catherine. And if you are looking for that high-end type of career later, this might be a good starting point for you. But if you're looking to run your own firm, if you are looking for more day-to-day -day projects, I would consider my certification program, which is coming out in early fall. It's going to be really comprehensive. I'm in the middle of taking a course on how to create an amazing certification, and it's going to have one-on-one -on -one coaching with me. It's going to have modules that you can complete in between 8 and 12 weeks. I'm working it out right now um, because there is still a lot to know, and I am so surprised 
surprised when my designers, because as you know, um, of my eight designers, six of them, no, five of them, excuse me, went to design school and three of them didn't. And the three that didn't had the same difficulties as the five that did. And I have these tests that they have to do before they join our firm. And then these tests that they have to do while they're in my academy. And they get the same scores. They make the same errors. They have the same gaps in comprehension that are really critical. And anyway, so that's my two cents on that, Catherine. So stay tuned because I will have updates coming in August or September. I'm spending a lot of time crafting the perfect program, the program I've been using with my designers for years, but I'm trying to make it even more accessible and even more hands-on and even more fabulous. All right, let's get to my next question from Tiffany. Tiffany writes, hello from Utah, Betsy. Last September, you had answered a question for me on a room's TV sofa placement. It was a shoebox-shaped living room space with floor-to-ceiling windows on three sides and a fireplace in the center of two windows on a long wall. We have the layout solution because of your recommendations. But now, dun-dun-dun, the windows. We have ordered solar roller shades for two tall windows flanking the fireplace. They face west. They are dark cinnamon and gold bamboo. Look for the texture. Thank you so much for that tip. But here is the question. Do we do the same shades on all the windows in that room? Or do we do just curtains on the rest? Do we do both? Do we mix it up? Help! Also, we do have curtain rods at the height you recommended up and waiting on all windows. We do love a curtain for texture and softness. Thank you for that tip too. But we are stumped on pattern texture color fabric. Again, the home is rustic, dark wood floor, light amber walls, gray stone fireplace, and a 9 by 14 area rug. Any suggestions or direction would be amazing. We love the podcast and we love the questions you asked and your solutions. Thanks, Jan. All right, Jan, let's get into it. First of all, if you do have shades on some windows in one room, you need to have shades on all the windows in that room. You want it to look cohesive. Uh, Shades or really any type of window treatment, are somewhat of an architectural feature. And that needs to be consistent throughout the entire room. And say it was two rooms that were open to each other, like open concept living. If I can see one room from the other, typically I will do the window treatments the same in both of those areas. In other words, I would continue the shades on every window. If you're in a room, there's no doors in that room, and you can clearly see the other windows in the space. I would also continue to use the same drapes. And as you know from previous podcasts, a fully dressed window does have both shades or blinds and drapes or curtains, right? So that is a fully dressed window and you would only manipulate the shades. You would not manipulate the curtains. They would just be there for color, pattern, texture, and to draw your eye up visually. It's the shade that would be manipulated day to day to block the light or, you know, create that illumination experience. In terms of what to choose for drapery, 
well, you've got a lot of brown in this room. You've got a lot of gray in this room with the stone fireplace. But tell me about that 9 by 14 rug. Because that if that has more than two colors, I would be pulling a color from that rug to use for the drapery. Now, you don't want it to be too loud because you're going to have a lot of these drapes and they're going to be quite long because you want them to extend from the rod all the way to the floor. You want them to brush the floor. I was talking with a client the other day and she's like, Betsy, I really don't want it to brush the floor. Now, bear in mind, she lives in a $3 million home. Come on now. I really don't want them to brush the floor because I don't like that they collect dust. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. You know, you can shake out a drape. You can vacuum extra, but you must touch the floor. It's going to take this $3 million home that is in every other way so opulent and make it look like it's wearing freakish high water pants. You absolutely must brush the floor. I have drapes in every room that brush the floor, and I must say dust is not really an issue, and I'm not an immaculate housekeeper. Uh, so that being said, what color should these drapes be? We want it to be something that's not crazy, not super loud, unless you really want to draw attention to these windows. And of course, Jan, as an avid listener of my podcast, you know that I'm going to say, what's your inspiration piece? You know, because that's what you derive the palette from. And as we know, these drapes are going to be a very big visual element in the room. So if they're not your 60% of the 60-30-10 equation, they're definitely going to be the 30%. So Jan, I hope that helped. And now I'm ready to move on to Tiffany's question. Tiffany says, Betsy, I have a question for your podcast mailbag. Do you have any suggestions for creating a sophisticated craft room? I have a blank slate, and I have been Googling craft room, but that leaves me feeling frustrated. Most look like someone just spent $1,000 on plastic storage. I want this very special room to be as pretty as the rest of the house, while also being functional for painting and stained glass creation. Thanks, Tiffany. All right, Tiffany. If you go to an artist's loft... Uh, you will often find that the room is white. You will often find, even in galleries, of course, that the walls are white. But going back to the artist's loft or a painter's studio, having stark white walls, having very little decoration around you, gives you that blank palette, that empty canvas, if you will, on which you can pour your thoughts and your creativity. When you have a craft room or an artist space that is too decorated, in other words, that may have colorful wallpaper, that may have loud rugs with lots of pattern, people say that it could distract you and it could push your artistic endeavors in one direction or another rather than allowing your mind to create the imagery and having those pieces that you're creating in the craft room be the things that truly sing. If I were going to create a painter's studio, and in time I will because I started my career as a painter and I've been noticing these tiny tugs inside whenever I think about my dreams and where I see myself when I retire, whatever, I'm always going back to painting. It must be something that I'm really longing for that I didn't even know I was missing. But whenever I think about that, I do think about myself being in a white room. 
And I think that's so crucial because in no other part of my life do I see a white room. Uh, But I really do want that blank start where I can create something photorealistic, where I can create something super abstract, I can create something very colorful, I can create something black and white without being so heavily influenced by my surroundings. When I first moved to New York City, I was making paintings for people's apartments. And I had painted my apartment, as some of you may remember from past episodes, bubblegum or in my case, I reference Pepto-Bismol pink. It was a color I was super excited about because it matched the drapes that I had made out of a shower curtain that I had found at Savers in Minneapolis. I was on a real budget back then. And I pulled that bubblegum pink from that shower curtain and just let it sing all over my apartment. Well, as I was trying to make paintings in that 150 square foot apartment, I found myself being so influenced by the strong colors and strong and questionable design choices around me that I couldn't create. I felt stifled. Uh, My vision felt stymied and I almost wanted to just close my eyes and come from that meditative, pure, creative place. My recommendation for you would be to keep it as white as possible. My other recommendation for you would be to have shelves that display your crafts. I'm not sure what kind of crafting you're doing, but you know, so many artist lofts people have paintings that are in progress or paintings that are finished and drying. And having your work up might inspire you. You might be creating a collection or something that you want it to feel cohesive. So having places to display your work, I think, is really interesting or to display things that are currently inspiring you. But the joy of that shelving or of those hooks or whatever, you know, you're using for creativity and inspiration is that then you can swap it out. Unlike wallpaper, wall paint or large rugs that are much harder to swap out, those things on your shelf can change as your tastes as an artist change. So you will not hear me say this about many other spaces, but keep it white, keep it bright, keep it boring so that your art can really flow freely. I hope that helped, Tiffany, and you've got me thinking that maybe I need to create my white studio a little bit sooner than I thought. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Are you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. 
All right, my next question comes from Alicia. Alicia writes, hello, Betsy and Stephanie. So you must be referencing my amazing designer, Stephanie. But uh, you mentioned that you just read our book and you listened to the 70 most recent episodes of our podcast. I'm enjoying listening to and using your tips as I update my 1904 four-square home in Saginaw, Michigan. I would appreciate being added to your mailing list. Wonderful. I will definitely, Alicia, add you to the mailing list. And if any of you want to be added to the mailing list, and you should, because bi-weekly it comes out with awesome tips. Stephanie is actually our content creator, even though it all goes through me. And I love seeing what she comes up with week after week because she actually uses our designers' current projects and their current thoughts as inspiration for creating these tip lists, these ideas. In fact, last week's was one that I was really into about creative ways to use books in your design. So many of us have books and bookcases are certainly one way to display them, but there's so many other creative options. Books are really affordable accessories that tell us a lot about who you are. And so it's really fun to use them in unconventional ways. I will definitely add you to that mailing list, Alicia. And if you want to be added to the mailing list, listeners, you can just send your email to info at affordable interior design. Info at affordableinteriordesign.com. Just mention that you want to be added to the mailing list and we will put you on there. And bi-weekly, you will get gold in your inbox. Anyway, Alicia, you mentioned that if you, well, you continue. Let me just put it that way. You continue and here's the rest of your email. Betsy, if you are still low on questions, I would love help with my upstairs hallway. It is U-shaped, with each side being approximately 8 feet long. Each bedroom is on a corner with the second bathroom. There is a traditional wood trim throughout, and all neutral spaces in the house, including this hallway, are painted in Valspar's New York City winter. I have two questions about this hallway space. Should I go with a more cool grayish to offset the orange wood wood tones? Or is New York City winter enough to give it a good balance? Also, should the artwork and photos in the hallway coordinate like they are in one long room? Or can it be an area to mix on the walls? This is the main space where I have photos of my kids and other large pieces of art. There isn't room for any furniture, and I'm just wanting to make sure that I am on the right track. Thank you so much. All right. First things first, most of you know that I only use Benjamin Moore paint, so I am not familiar with any of these other lines. Uh, not that I have a particular affiliation or anything like that with Benjamin Moore, it's just that it's most readily available in most communities. We're often designing in Canada, internationally, or just in small towns throughout the U.S. with our virtual packages. And so I need to use a paint color that everyone can readily find. And Benjamin Moore is the line that's just around. Uh, that being said, I looked up Valspar's New York City winter. And I was surprised at how like a New York City winter it is. It is this grayish. So it definitely would read gray more than beige, but it has a warm undertone. And it totally reminded me of walking through New York City in November with this haze of blech. It's summertime, and I really did not want to be reminded of that. But I do think that it makes a really rich paint color, and I do think that it would be perfect for offsetting those orangey, toned woods. I do not think that you need to go with another gray or a cooler gray. I think that this one was very nice, even though it did 
uh, bring back some memories of cold and dreary November days. In terms of the artwork, eight feet is not a very long hallway, and you want to have places for your eye to rest. The thing about a hallway is it's typically not very deep. They're typically narrow, and so you don't want to have anything too large or where you need to stand back to take it in. In other words, a gallery wall, an oversized piece of art, because you just can't get that depth in a narrow hallway unless it's at the end of the hallway, right? At the end of that eight feet, you would then have that large piece. But because it's usually narrow, you wouldn't be able to have a very wide piece. It might be oversized as tall, or you know I love a mirror at the end of a hallway because it makes that hallway look a little bit deeper, a little bit longer. It adds depth. It's kind of a perspective trick. And there's just a perfect place. Like the other day, I'm designing a place right now in the Flatiron District in New York. And they needed a place for a full-length mirror. And that is just an awesome place for a full-length mirror because you can really stand back and check yourself out. And additionally, it's going to make her hallway look extra, extra deep. Now, her hallway is a little bit deeper than yours at 14 feet. And I only have artwork on one of the walls. You do want to tell people where to focus. You don't want to have art on every wall because you need areas for your good chi. Blank areas that allow good energy to circulate and allow the space to not feel visually cluttered. I would recommend only having two artistic moments in this hallway and I'm open. You know, if you have an eclectic vision, if you have a more lively style, then I think you could match photographs in one section with a painting on the other side. If you have a more classical um, or modern or severe aesthetic, I would be inclined to do all the same types of pieces, whether it's black and white photography or whether it's a series of artwork. That can be really impactful down a hallway. In other words, a diptych, a triptych, or that long series that can really walk with you as you go down the hall. But again, if this is not a deep hall, don't think about a series being that organic gallery wall because you just can't get the depth to stand back and take in that cool shape. All right, Alicia, I hope that helped. And now it's time to move on to Rita's question. Rita writes, hi, Betsy. I thought I'd send along some photos and the layout of my powder room. I am blocked on how to decorate this tiny bathroom. In addition to the wallpaper questions that I have, I'm stumped on what else to put on this wall. I feel like I have too many square edges on the wall. It might be nice to have some shelves. Help me, Betsy. Rita. The exciting thing, Rita, about a bathroom, especially a small powder room like this, is you do not need to do much. As you guys know, I haven't said this in a long time actually, but if you're a long time listener, if you listen to the initial episodes, you will know that the only thing people want out of your bathroom, especially guests, the only thing people want is for it to feel clean. So don't clutter it up with tchotchkes, don't clutter it up with magazine racks, God forbid, that, you know, feel like they might have toilet 
spray on them. Just don't clutter it up with stuff. I like artwork that has glass in front of it, not just a painting, but a painting that is framed with glass so that way you can wipe it off and it's not absorbing that bathroom humidity. Even in a powder room, you're getting that moisture from the toilet spray. Google it, toilet spray. Um, so I really want you to keep it light, keep it fresh. You know, you also have a soffit in this bathroom or powder room as it were. And a soffit is an area um, at the top of the wall that juts out. Um, it's a little bump out that looks like yours is maybe three inches deep and maybe a foot high. I'm just eyeballing that. But when you have these weird indentations or bump outs, you really don't want to use wallpaper because it's going to break up the pattern. It's going to make it look fractured, make it look off. In order to have wallpaper, you want these clean surfaces. I love wallpaper in a tiny powder room because it can make a bold statement in a very tight space. But in this case, with that soffit, it would not be my first inclination. I might paint this a lively color. I might put that awesome piece of art. It's these two ladies swimming in a pool um, with this coral background and this lovely teal pool effect with this navy grid on top. It just is transporting me in these summer months. I would maybe put that painting or that print over the toilet because when you walk in, generally, especially in a small powder room, you immediately see the toilet. So that's the focal point. And you really want to capture people's eye when they walk in. But I might have another recommendation for you because on that same toilet wall is your vanity. And I think one of the main problems I'm seeing in this room is that the mirror above the vanity is very small. Your vanity probably has a 22 inch width and the mirror probably has an 18 inch width, maybe even smaller, maybe like a 16 inch width, which is fine for my 50 to 75% rule, but it's a circle. So it also has that height that small squat height, and it just looks like it's floating in no man's land. I would rather you choose an elongated mirror, either a rectilinear mirror or an oval mirror, or, you know, it could mimic the shape of the pool and be somewhat irregular, like a jelly bean. They do have a lot of irregular mirrors on West Elm that might really sing in this room. But I think getting an elongated mirror would make such a difference. Then what you can do is you could paint the walls a bright color, perhaps a color derived from that cool print. Um, I'm loving, you could do navy. That would be really striking. You could do that teal. That would also be striking. I would probably avoid the red in the painting. I would probably avoid the sunny yellow. And I might even consider doing that coral pink color on the walls. Anyway, those are just a couple of ideas. But then you have that impact of the paint. And the paint is not drawing attention to the issue of the soffit like wallpaper might. Those are my tips, Rita. Get an elongated mirror, paint the walls a wow color, move the art if you don't get a larger mirror, or keep the art where it is if you do. And then if you do go for that punch of color on the walls, I would go with a more neutral matte. And um, there we go. I think that solved all your problems. If only it was that easy with everything in life. 
Guys, it has been such a pleasure being back with you this week. I hope you're having a wonderful summer and I hope you have a terrific 4th of July. Bye. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.